Okay, we're in Colossians 3 tonight, and we're going to look at just the first four verses. Um, so if you want to turn or scroll or whatever you do to get there, um, then do that. You might want to keep it open to you so you can refer to it as we go along. Um, so, so far, um, Paul has been very intentional in his letter to the church in Colossae about just establishing really firmly who they are, what's true about them, um, and that they are united with Christ and all that that means. And then the first instruction that he gave, we looked at, I guess, last week, which was to walk in him. And so um, he's encouraging them to avoid, to resist any kind of tempting teaching that might um, pull them away from relying only on their position being united with Christ for their security. Um, not long ago, I saw something. I should have brought it with me. I have it written on a little index card. Um, just some prompts to help with Bible study, and it was a few questions. And one of the questions was, what is the, what, what is the question that you just can't shake from this passage? Um, and I have a question that I just couldn't quite shake from our study in chapter 2. And it was something like, so what do we do? I just want Paul to tell me what to do, tell me what not to do and who I am. Those are good things. But also, what do we do? How do we, if we're not going to hold on to things that kind of like puff us up and make us feel better, then what do we do with those anxious, fearful feelings that we have or the things that um, make those deceptive philosophies like the wanting to, to perform to make ourselves feel more Christian-y? What do we do with all that or about all that? Um, how do we change, I think? How do we deal with sin? Those are the questions that were coming up for me last week. Um, and that's what Paul is going to go into. But even before he gets to any kind of what do you do, he's going to talk more about who you are. He's just going to keep bringing that home. So some of this may even sound repetitive. But I think that that is just, a, it emphasizes how important it is that Paul is continuing to remind the church in Colossae and us what is true before he gets to what do you do. Um, so let's look at Colossians 3, and let me just read the first four verses. Oh, I'm reading it in NIV. So that's how I learned it, and I like it, and so I always hate it when somebody uses a different version. <laughs> so, um, so you have been warned. Uh, it's not all that different. All right, since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things above, not on the things of the earth. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, you will also appear with him in glory. Uh, let's pray one more time. Lord, would you please help us to grasp the truth of these verses? Would you help us to see you and ourselves more clearly? Would you please remove distractions and help us to be attentive to your word? I pray, Father, that I won't be one of those distractions, but that in our time together, you would guard all of our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus, and we pray that you would change us, that you would make us more like you. 
Amen. Okay, so we're going to look at these verse by verse. Okay, so verse 1, since you've been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. So remember that Paul is writing to believers. This is a letter to Christians. So if you're a believer in this room, this is a letter for you as well. It's written for them and for us, for our good. Um, and so these were people who had heard and believed the gospel. And, and again, he doesn't begin to instruct them in, in ways of doing until he has really affirmed their way of being. Um, as new creations, given new hearts in Christ. And you remember all those past tense verbs that we looked at last week, that they were rooted and that they were established. Well, they were being established. That was ongoing, not past tense, right? That they were um, built up. Um, and so it's not through our own effort, but it's through God's working in us because he loves us. And there are a few more past tense verbs tonight. So we see that we have been raised uh, with Christ. And then in verse 3, we'll see that we have died. Um, I thought I was going to write the verses up there, so that's probably going to bug me. Let me keep them where I can see them. Um, so there's a few more past tense things. We were saved from spiritual death. We talked about this last week, too. And we were raised to life in him. Um, and the truth is that there's nothing that we can do to deserve that. His love for us is its, its own reason. Um, he loved us before the foundation of the world. And he pursues us all the way to sending Jesus to pay the penalty. I saw something that said the gospel in four sentences. And it was like, I love you. Um, I'm coming for you, uh, come home, do not fear, something like that. Um, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one can boast. So we can't cheapen grace to the extent that we say that we can just sort of be apathetic to any kind of call to be obedient. But we also can't overemphasize obedience to the point that we're trying to justify ourselves. I think that's why Paul spends so much time just affirming who we are in Christ. So as a result of being raised, being brought to spiritual life, um, then he says to set your hearts on things above. Here is your first instruction, and he states it twice. He's going to tell us to set our hearts, and he's going to tell us to set our minds. So first of all, let's think about what is the heart. Um, we need to define that. So because it's, we're not talking about the thing you can see with an MRI or here with a stethoscope, right? So um, before those days, the heart was considered to be like the core of the person, um, the place where thinking, feeling, and acting comes from. So here's your diagram on the board. And I put little arrows in between, too, because if you think about it, your thinking impacts your feeling, impacts your doing, and they all are kind of interrelated and play off of each other, don't they? Um, and that's how it works. Your, um, your knowledge, what you tell yourself, what you set your affections on, um, and what you end up doing all work together. And the Bible talks about our heart a lot. Um, something like a thousand times in Scripture <clears throat> is our heart mentioned. So here's just a couple. Three, to be exact. That's not a couple. That's three. Deuteronomy 6.5 says that we are to love the Lord our God with all your heart and all your soul and all your might. 
Oh, that's so sweet. They came in the door hugging. <laughs> and love, you, love your neighbor as yourself. All right, Jeremiah 17, 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Psalm 37, 4, Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. So our emotions are not isolated from what we think or do. Um, so our calling is to have our thoughts, feelings, and actions, our heart, continually brought under the word of God. So this would be like an energetic orientation um, to the beauty of spiritual realities. I love that. An energetic orientation to set your heart on something, um, to bring our thoughts and feelings and actions um, to the beauty of spiritual realities. So how do we set our hearts? To set something means to put, lay, or stand something in a specified place or position. So there's action required in that, isn't there? Um, to set it is an intentional act, to put something where you want it to be. Um, so God's grace not only invites but it requires our, our participation. Um, Rankin Wilburn in Union with Christ says, grace is not opposed to effort, but it's opposed to earning. So like, for example, the Bible tells us to rest in Christ. Come to me, all you who are uh, weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. But it also says that calls us to action. Um, Hebrews 4.11, let us strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. So it's a good thing to labor to be aware of Christ living in us. It's a good thing to intentionally set your hearts on him. Um, but remember, it's effort, not earning, that we're called to. I think that's why Paul has been so intentional about talking about our identity in him. Philippians 2, 12 and 13, Therefore, my beloved... As you have always obeyed, so now not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do you get that? We work out our salvation as God is working in us. So consider what means we have of setting our hearts on God. Um, what about daily meditation? So taking in God's word and chewing on it and thinking about it, maybe praying it back to him, um, prayer, um, corporate worship, and the sacraments like communion, music, anything by City of Light, I think will engage your heart. Um, looking for God's grace in the ordinary, like laughter, um, sunsets, we just have to set our hearts on seeing those things as gifts from him, as ways that he is, I read once, um, that he's romancing us. Um, abiding in community with other people, and especially with believers who are going to speak his word into your life, that's one of the ways we set our hearts on him. Um, and especially that's so true when we're fearful or discouraged to have believing friends who are willing to help us set our hearts in the right place. Um, and I'm sure we could list lots and lots of more ways we could do that. But we're to set our hearts also on what is above. Okay, well, what's above? The passage tells us that Jesus is and that he's seated at the right hand of God. And if you were in Brian's um, Chris, Christology, 
class. For, I was questioning that for a second. Um, he talked about Jesus existing in a body even now. Um, so somewhere, Jesus exists, and he's at the right hand of God. He's in a heavenly realm, um, and he's seated. And that he is seated there indicates that he finished a work and sat down. Hebrews 1.3, after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. And then while he's at God's right hand, he's advocating for us. That's Romans 8.34. He's interceding for us before the Father. There is a heavenly realm where Jesus is, and we are living with one foot in the earthly realm, and our souls are secure in the spiritual realm. And we have knowledge that he's interceding for us and that we're secure while we are also struggling with temptation here, and we have hope for when Jesus is going to return and restore us. So as we wait in this in-between time, we're being intentional about setting our hearts and our minds on that reality, on the things above and not on the things of the earth. That's verse 2. So we talked about what's above. We'll talk about that again in a little bit. But how do we set our minds? So our mind then would be your thinker, right? The thinker of thoughts, that's your mind. Um, and I think Paul is kind of building on this instruction of setting your heart he kind of takes it again. Like the thing you set your heart on is what you're going to spend your time thinking about. If you, if you think about that, if you think about how you think, where your affections tend to go is where you think. So um, this is a terrible example, but it, it, it seemed applicable. So not long ago on social media, you could, uh, maybe it's just across your phone, I don't know. But you get little notifications like that you can allow apps, apps to track your activity. Have y'all seen that? Um, so I guess I said it could, but on Instagram, I guess, because there's a pair of shoes. And y'all, it's just, a, it's just a pair. It's not a fancy pair of shoes. It's a regular pair of shoes. I bet we could grow and somebody's got them on that I, I like. Um, and I've wanted them. And my mind has been set on these stupid shoes. Um, I have thought about all the outfits I could wear them with, and I mean, they're, they're just shoes, but I couldn't bring myself to buy them, so I was trying to justify buying them by thinking about all the things I could wear them with. Um, I think the issue is they're not like work shoes, and I'm, the whole idea of wearing like not work shoes to work kind of freaks me out, even though therapists notoriously can dress weird, but anyway. So... Um, so thanks to this phone tracking situation, when I log in to um, Instagram, like I can see just how much I have been thinking about these shoes because every other thing that comes up is an ad for those shoes. Um, that is what my mind has been set on when I have been on my phone. Um, so I, I, I guess the design for that is that it's supposed to catch me and I'll buy them um, impulsively. I, I guess that's what that's for. Um, so. However, I have also intentionally been setting my thoughts and my heart, I'm trying to, with my emotions on being a good steward with the resources that we have and because it's a temptation for me to buy things to make myself feel better, uh, that I have been paying attention to kind of surrendering that to the Lord. And so um, by grace, the shoes popping up, I feel just kind of desensitized to them now and I don't really want them anymore. Um, 
the shoes will never, I know those shoes will never give me confidence that, that nothing will. They're just going to be the next pair of cute shoes. There will be another pair immediately after that. I know the payoff will be really short term. So the difference is there. The shoes won't change me. I could buy them. They will not do anything. But God's word does. God's word is living and active. And as my mind has been surrendering to him this desire that I have to build myself up by buying stupid stuff, I can notice just in that small instance where he's transforming my thoughts about it and my affections. And I don't feel so much affection toward those shoes. Beat that dead horse, didn't I? So Jen Wilkin says this. She says, the heart cannot love what the mind does not know. So do you see the interrelatedness between the heart and the mind there? So with knowledge of God comes a deeper love for him. And by the work of the Holy Spirit, that's where we are changed. So have you ever had an experience where it probably would happen like with your family of origin? Something's happening and all of a sudden you feel like you're 12. Have y'all had that experience? Please nod so that I know, like, I'm not the only one. Thank you. Appreciate it. Um, so there's powerful experiences that often um, cause, like, a wiring in the brain to happen. And usually it's something like experiences of pain or joy or threat or comfort. Um, and that's because what we think causes um, genetic activity in our brains. It causes proteins that come together to make thoughts and when they when that's a repeated thing that happens they kind of wire together and so when a similar event happens we have the same response to it the same thoughts the same feelings and you kind of like you can go back there if it's wired together firmly we say uh, neurons that wire together fire together uh, and so you know my mom could look at me in one way her whole life and I'd be like shrink um, so we call that, uh, it's been given a, a name, neuroplasticity, because there's some flexibility in it, in that when you start um, working through things like through healing, through um, setting your heart and mind on God, then God created us in such a way that our minds can be renewed and that they can be changed. So. Every day that passes, we are being formed by something. What we're taking in and what we set our minds on is changing us. And I don't say that to, to make you fearful, like don't ever look at whatever, but because that'll just turn you in on yourself. Um, it's just a call to be mindful of what you're taking in. And it does kind of emphasize what Paul is saying, too, to set your mind. Be intentional about where you put your mind. So if we set our mind on things other than God to try to make us feel um, more righteous, basically, more right, then it becomes an idol. Um, every time we open the scriptures, the living and active word of God, we are not the same person. We are being changed. If you've ever read through Leviticus, you wonder about that. How is that happening? Um, but over time, you see, yeah, it totally does. We're being changed. There's no standing still in, in God's word. Um, so one of the ways that the Holy Spirit helps us grow is because God created our amazing brains to be malleable. And so that what we set our affections on 
and what we set our thoughts on informs and forms who we are by the work of the Holy Spirit. Isn't that wacky and kind of amazing? Um, so it's good to heed instructions. Philippians 4.8, y'all know this one. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Romans 12.2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. And remember that the heart is the, the whole of the inner person. And so when our thoughts are transformed to be more like his, then our feelings and our behaviors are going to follow suit. So we set our minds on things above and not on things of the earth. Well, what are the things of the earth? All right, so not all earthly things are bad things. Um, it's when we set our minds and our hearts on a system that embraces rebellion against God. That's a worldly mindset. That's what Paul is saying, don't set your minds on the worldly mindset. When we elevate something earthly um, to try to get it to make us satisfied or give us meaning, that's when we've created idols for ourselves. So worldliness is giving your heart and your imagination um, looking to things that can give you something that only God can give. So think about it. What kind of worldly entanglement, entanglements tend to drag us down? Um, if you have kids, you could probably just start making a list. What are the things that I look to my kids for to make me feel better about myself and make me feel more righteous, more right? Um, what fleshly affections compete with love for him? What will pull you away? And could be looking for the approval of other people or worrying about what other people think. Um, could be relying on your kids or your husband or your friends to boost you up a whole lot. Um, it could be money um, or status or a title or performance if you're a box checker. Um, could be achievements to try to create a sense of security. So setting our minds on the things above means that we view our troubles, our jobs, how we spend our leisure time, and so on from a standpoint that those are not the ultimate things. Instead, we view them in light of a gospel and heavenly truth. So what is the truth that you're supposed to know with your mind? Look at verse 3. You're, you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. All right. This is a past tense and a present tense, isn't it? You died and you are now hidden. So, Jesus is, what, Je what when God looks at us, he sees everything Jesus is. The new, alive you is everything Jesus is. The old you is dead. Romans 6. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. This is um, verse 6. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we could no longer be enslaved to sin. If you want to look that up, read on through. It's great. Um, so you also, this is verse 11, must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. So before we knew Jesus, we were slaves to sin. But when we were joined to him by faith, our old self, the one trapped by sin, was crucified in him. And so for the Christian, your old self is dead. Remember last week 
um, the question was, do you consider yourself to be a forgiven old you or a forgiven new you? The Christian life is about becoming who Jesus has already made you to be. Go be who you already are. Become who you are. Um, in Union with Christ, Rankin Wilburn tells a story that you may have heard before, but I want to share it in case you haven't, about a young lady who worked at Disney World. She was Mickey Mouse. Have y'all heard this story? Oh, I'm glad. No, I'm glad. Um, she was the person inside the Mickey Mouse. Um, and so this is what she said, reflecting on her time in Mickey. She said, growing up, I thrived on behavior modification. I thought, if I'm good, I'll be loved. If I'm bad, I'll be rejected. I learned to wear a mask. Not to show what was really going on. My core beliefs were that I was not worthy, accepted, or loved. So I would clamor and manufacture ways to elicit positive responses I wanted from people. When I put on Mickey's costume, I got that positive response times 100. She felt safe and loved, covered in Mickey's righteousness. But she also gained a new sense of what it means to be in Christ. She recalled praying, Lord, is this what it's like to have masses of people run towards you with joy, excitement, and eagerness? This is another way to picture what it means for you to be in Christ. You're completely safe, hidden in him. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. Do this with me. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. That's secure, right? So when you think about yourself, when you consider with your thinker um, on being dead to sin and alive to God, you don't have to be afraid or keep trying to prove yourself anymore. So again, you can view your work and your leisure and your relationships differently because you know they can't give you what you're tempted to look for those things to give you because you're hidden with Christ in God. Nothing else is needed to free us from ourselves than to know that truth and just set our hearts and minds on it. Doesn't that sound freeing? Yeah. Oh, yes. And I feel like it's kind of a lifetime thing, too. Um, I used to think that I should just arrive at that where I don't, um, but I think it's going to be a lifetime situation. But doesn't it sound freeing? Like I can just not operate out of my fear or my, I have to try to manage my image. Oh, it's exhausting. But just function out of love with people. What a gift, becoming who you are. And then verse 4 says, when Christ who is your life appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. This is a tough one for me. I'll be honest with you. Christ who is your life. So you're united with Christ, so he is your life. That makes sense, right? It's so confusing to me for some reason. Galatians 2.20. I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. Well, so let's just think about just a couple of things of what that means. All right, so one is that Scripture tells us apart from him, we can't do anything. That breath you just took, the one you're taking right now. He gave you that. Um, it means that he knows us more than we could ever know ourselves. If you look at Psalm 139, search me and know me. You know when I sit down. You know when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down. And you're acquainted with all my ways, even before a word is on my tongue. Behold, you know it altogether. You hem me in. It goes behind and before. 
and you lay your hand on me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It also means that Christ is our life, that we have hope. We have hope that we will behold the glory of the Lord, that we're being transformed into the same image um, from one degree of glory to another. Right now, Jesus is hidden from our view, but that will not always be the case. So one day, he's going to be fully revealed, and then we're going to be fully revealed with him in glory. Jesus is going to come here. He will appear and renew and restore all the things. You may have heard the quote, everything sad will come untrue. Um, so let's think for a second about what's going to happen when he's revealed and we're, when we are revealed with him in glory. Just a couple of verses I want to share with you real quick. 1 Corinthians 13, 12. Now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. That whole, like, it's hard for me to get what it means that Christ is my life, that will not be hard to get anymore when he appears. It will make sense. Revelation 7, 17. For the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. When he appears and we appear with him in glory, there will be no more tears. Matthew 13, 43, the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. I think that righteous is us, the believers. Shine like the sun in the kingdom of the father. Is that right? 1 Corinthians 15, 42 through 44. So will it be in the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable. It is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, raised in glory, sown in weakness, raised in power, sown in a natural body, raised in a spiritual body. My back won't hurt anymore. That sounds great. 2 Thessalonians 1, 7. The Lord will give relief to you who are troubled and to us as well. This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angel, angels on the day he comes to be glorified in his holy people. Glorified in his holy people and to be marveled at among all those who have believed. I think all of those things are certainly worthy of our hearts and minds' attention, right? Set your hearts and minds on these things. So I want to pray for you as we close with a passage from Ephesians, and then we'll go to small group. Um, I have to pull it up on my phone. <clears throat> One moment. Okay, let's, let's pray. Oh, Father, for this reason we bow to you and we thank you for sending your Son, Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. Please grant us, according to the riches of your glory, to be strengthened with might through your Spirit in the inner man, that Christ might dwell in our hearts through faith and that we being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge that we may be filled with all the fullness of God and we pray O oh father that you would grant us mindfulness about where we are setting our hearts and our minds 
And Father, that we might hold all of our attention on the things above, on our union with you. And by that, Father, I pray that you would change us. In Jesus' name, amen.